Good morning. Let me add my welcome to Aubrey's. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you, especially if you're new with us. I'm so glad that you've joined us, and I hope that you'll stick around after the service for coffee and bagels, where I can meet you and get to know you a bit more. Yesterday began the season of epiphany. It's one of those words that we think we know, but we could still use some clarification, like Mr. Smee in the movie Hook. I've just had an apostrophe. Lightning has just struck my brain. Now, fortunately, as Christians, we get to relearn this word on a yearly basis as we live through the church calendar. But sometimes it's helpful just to start from scratch. So, what is epiphany? Well, in a sense, Mr. Smee was right. An epiphany is an enlightening, an experience of sudden insight or revelation. Students, you might have an epiphany while you're working on a math problem. You're working and working and working, and it all seems so confusing, and then boom, you get it. And you say something really smart like, aha, now I get it, now I see it. You've just had an epiphany. But when we use this word in the context of the Christian story, we're talking about a specific kind of epiphany. Think of the Bible as a whole, just for a moment, like an hourglass set on its side. Levi, if it helps, you can think of it like a bow tie. (laughs) On the left side of the hourglass we have our two Old Testament readings, Isaiah 60 and Psalm 72, both of which tell us about a coming epiphany when in this sudden turn of events, the pagan nations who were once hostile to the God of Israel will come streaming to him to pay homage to him. Then at the center, in the funnel of the hourglass, we have the reading from Matthew where what was prophesied in the Old Testament actually comes to pass as Jesus is born and the Magi from the East come to visit him and worship him. And finally, the right side of the hourglass represents the text from Ephesians that Jim read for us. It describes the church as this divine human institution and mechanism for revealing Jesus Christ to the whole world. So this is the epiphany that trumps all other epiphanies. This is the enlightenment that puts all other enlightenments to shame. It's the explosive revelation that the glory of God has come to earth in Jesus Christ and is now spreading like a swelling river throughout the entire universe and will continue to spread for all eternity. That's good news. And not just because we're on the winning team. 
we shouldn't make the same mistake as Israel by thinking that we're God's favorites or that we're just moments away from world domination. No, this good news, this gospel is for the whole world. The healing of all nations, the renewal and flourishing of all cultures. And that's why, during this season of Epiphany, we'll be starting a new sermon series on cultural renewal. We'll begin by looking at the big picture, and then as Lent approaches, which by the way, uh, begins on Valentine's Day for you hopeless romantics, (laughs) we'll end with some specific thoughtful ways that we can take our faith into the contested spaces of markets and elections and corporations and town halls and so on. So just like the Magi, we'll be taking the Epiphany journey together. But it's not necessarily an easy one. First, there is a journey into Christ where we must discover and overcome with God's help the obstacles, the barriers that keep us from becoming our true selves in him. And then second, there is a journey out with Christ where we must face our fears, the fears of uncertainty and rejection and failure as we give witness to his kingdom. Jesus calls us to both movements. His invitation to come and see is always followed by a go and tell. And if we're going to follow him like the Magi did, we better start walking. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And let's look together at both movements of this epiphany journey, starting with the journey inward, the journey into Christ. Do you remember learning, uh, probably in high school English class, about round and flat characters in a story? Every story has each. If you're not yet in high school, then plug your ears because I'm about to spoil it for you. It goes like this. A round character develops and changes. A flat character stays the same. A round character stands out in a crowd. A flat character blends in. A round character keeps us guessing. A flat character is almost entirely predictable. A round character is often poor in outer events, but rich in inner ones. A flat character is often rich in outer events, but all the while is spiritually impoverished. A round character is always asking the hard questions, ones that we could imagine asking ourselves. A flat character is always giving answers. And if he does ask questions, he asks them to others, but never to himself. To sum up, 
around character is almost always on a journey. And a flat character mostly just stays put. Well, in a roundabout sort of way, you've just been introduced to the two character parties of our text. On the one hand, we have the round magi, or the wise men, probably astrologers from Persia, who show up unexpectedly and then kind of disappear into nothing. And on the other hand, we have the flat King Herod and Jewish spiritual elite along with him, who despite all the excitement going on in Jerusalem, they stay bunkered down in the city from start to finish. Now, can you imagine their first encounter with each other? Verse 2, look with me. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star and we've come to worship him. And then some of your Bibles might have a little footnote that says, Herod spits out his morning coffee. (laughs) Who exactly was this Herod? Who are we dealing with here? History has called him Herod the Great, the rebuilder of the temple, the only ruler of Palestine who ever succeeded in keeping the peace and bringing order into disorder. And yet, he was an imposter king and he knew it. Herod was not a Jew and the crown had come to him by warfare and dirty politics, not by birth. So you can imagine his nausea, heartburn, and digestion when he hears not only that one has been born to become the king of the Jews, but that this newborn child is already the king of the Jews, born king. And because of Herod's deep insecurity, about his own identity. He knows he's an imposter because he has refused thus far to live close to the center of his own life, to take the inward journey and be honest with himself before God. He is totally unable to deal with the threat, with the possibility of someone else's success. And so just like a wounded animal... In a corner, he panics, he flexes his muscles, and eventually attacks with this ruthless extermination plan. He knows the way to the Messiah, but he doesn't make the journey. He just stays put and settles for his own brokenness suppresses it. Have you ever done something like that? Even if it's on a much smaller scale. When the new hire has a better resume and a quicker wit than you, do you hold back your friendship from them? Or when that other young mother seems to have it all together, 
Do you look for ways to judge her? These symptoms, they'll never go away by boosting your own resume and entering into the competition. Now, the only way to heal deep insecurity is to go with God on the long, difficult, inward journey into your own soul where Christ is seated and let him renew you from the inside. That's the journey we all must take. And Herod chose not to. But what about the Magi? These wise astrologer, scholar, kings. You need hyphens to describe these people. We know from several historians, including the Roman historian Tacitus from the first century, that there was a strong rumor going around at this time of world dominion coming out of Judea. That it was about to be Israel's time to take the stage. It would make sense then For the Magi to be reluctant to pay homage to this king. Because his rise would mean their fall. And his rule would mean their submission. And yet the Magi, these round characters, they don't act as we would expect. They see this star which was probably a bright lining up of the planets Jupiter and Saturn, Jupiter being the kingly planet, Saturn being the one that has been thought to represent Israel. And they conclude that a new king of the Jews is about to be born. And instead of biting their nails and scrambling for security, they just allow God to guide them. It's amazing, really. For all the questions that these magi make for us, one thing is clear. These Gentiles, these pagans, who in all likelihood know nothing of the scriptures we've listened to this morning, are willing to let God lead them on an uncomfortable but life-changing journey into the Lord Jesus. We saw his star when it rose, they say, and have come to worship him. So what's the difference? What's the difference between the malleable magi on the one hand and the insecure Herod on the other hand? Well, at the heart of the magi's experience is this sense of wonder this deep longing to know the truth, the truth about God, the truth about the world, and their own identity and place within it. And along with that, an eagerness to embrace it, whatever it costs them. It's a reminder to us that Scripture is meant to be savored, not just digested. Herod knows the answers. The priests and scribes tell him what he needs to know, but he doesn't take the journey. He doesn't have any desire to see Jesus for himself, to admire him and hold him 
and wonder at him. But the Magi, who are like infants in the faith, they follow the star, they find the king, and they fall down in worship. Are you on this inward journey? This journey into Christ. It's what we talked about during Advent. Each of us needs to place our lives beside the quiet waters where the Spirit of God can brood upon it. Each of us needs to develop an interior life of prayer that is grounded in Scripture so that we can know Jesus And know ourselves. And know the calling that he's given to us specifically. Why don't we do this? Why are we so hesitant? Like Samwise Gamgee. To take this journey. For many of us, it's simply because the inner journey is a risk. Like the Magi, once we set off, we don't know where we'll end up. We don't know where God will lead us, what sins and flaws he'll confront us with, or what he'll ask us to do. But isn't that the unknown element that makes the journey such an adventure? It's the thrill of going deeper with the God who leads people to himself by the stars and rules the world in a baby? Is it a hard way? Yes. And few find it. But for everyone who does, it leads to life itself. And yet it doesn't end there. That's what epiphany is all about. God's glory is too big, too great to be contained. It must go out. There must not only be a journey into Christ, but also a journey out with Christ. The Magi were guided out of darkness and into light. But then how does the story end? Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, are we to imagine, really, that the Magi became deeply devoted Christians with all the traditions and morals that we follow today? Stopping at Chick-fil-A on the way back? (laughs) Not on a Sunday? I don't think so. You know, Matthew doesn't tell us specifically how their lives were affected after they departed. But we do know that just as God had led them to this epiphany, now he was calling them to expand that epiphany beyond the crib and to the world of everyday experience. And this sending out, it's what we call mission. And it's the very heartbeat of God's people. But it's more than just sending out 
missionaries, important as that is. Russ and Deidre, I see you wherever you are. We're so glad to have you back. No, something of the power of the new life in Christ must penetrate social and economic life. Commerce and industry and science and art. We cannot afford to leave any sector of individual or social life to its own devices. God wants us to gather together right now all things in the world under one head, Christ. Now, over the next several weeks, we'll be talking about the concrete ways that we can embody God's mission here in Harrisonburg. Aubrey's going to do that. He's going to answer all of our questions on that. But for this morning, let me close by giving you an idea of what it might look like for you to take the journey outward this epiphany. To let the light of Jesus within you shine on those around you. Here's some ways. Ask Jesus, begin by asking Jesus to increase your compassion for those who are far from God. Ask for a greater courage to speak to them. Read a book to sharpen your own thinking about sharing your faith. Zoe just recommended one to me. You should talk to her afterward. Make a list of a few friends or co-workers or family members to pray for this season. Become alert to opening in your everyday conversations, opening up where you can mention Jesus in a natural and interesting way. If someone seems open, suggest going for coffee, talking about spiritual matters, and be prepared to really listen to their experiences and beliefs and questions. Invite a few folks to take a look at Jesus with you through a four to six week informal investigative Bible study. Maybe some key passages in the Gospels. I'd love to point you to some resources that you could use for that. Invite a neighbor to come to church. We're going to have room. Or to small group. Give a friend a book on Jesus or an introduction to the Christian faith. Now, these ideas, all of them, require equal measures of courage and compassion. For many of us, the idea of purposefully talking about Jesus with our friends and acquaintances makes us uneasy. We live in a cultural moment when religious zeal is suspect. When spiritual beliefs are considered strictly personal. When tolerance is paramount. And when anything even remotely resembling proselytizing is totally off limits. And so it makes sense to be scared and to be hesitant. But that's where the inward journey comes in. That's where the two movements of our journey meet. How can we expect to have the courage and tenacity 
and resilience and compassion to take God's mission of reconciliation out into the world if we don't allow his reconciliation to happen in ourselves. Now, these two journeys are intimately related. It's the inward journey that makes the outward journey possible. That's the whole point. To turn your eyes upon Jesus, to encounter this almighty God, is never to be turned away from the world, but to be turned toward it as his creation. It's the world that he loves, and it's the world that he longs for us to learn to love, just as we learn to love ourselves in all our brokenness and flaws and weaknesses. So as we take this journey together over the next six weeks this year, may the God of the whole universe open our hearts to his epiphany within us. And may we be strengthened to reach out and extend his great epiphany beyond the crib into the world that he loves so deeply. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.